Mommy, why did I get a cavity? Why? Parents have to answer enough tough questions, so do all you can to prevent that one. Make sure you give your kids coordinated strike. Welcome back to Coordinated Strike. As always, I'm your host, Joe. We have a very fun show for you today. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the Abyssinia One Commander box set. And the reason we're going to be talking about this is I want to go a little more in depth as to some of the tips, strategy, and tactics of playing this in your first game. Uh, we've had a lot of requests for this style of report. We're going to be doing them for each of the four factions that are currently out uh, through the Kickstarter. Um, they'll be coming into stores here very shortly. So I want to have something like this up uh, where we're going a little more in depth just specifically to your One Commander box set experience and kind of some things to uh, look for and utilize within that space, particularly against the other box sets with uh, the named box set in the show. So this is going to be the Abyssinian one. This will be the first... Uh, first of the series of four so looking forward to doing this for you and we'll catch you right after a word from our sponsors i really need a better agent can't get anything better Anything closer than the 1980s uh, to appear on this show. Well, welcome back. We're going to be talking about the Abyssinian uh, box set starter, uh, the Allegiance box for the other side from Weird Miniatures. Uh, you've heard me talk about it before. We're going to go a little bit more in depth. Uh, kind of really want to talk about how it interacts with the four, the three other uh, box set, and include. We'll also go over the mirror match uh, a little bit as this is probably going to be the first style of game that you're going to play. And so I want to take some time to go through uh, more tips, tactics, and tricks, particularly in the One Commander uh, matchup as it pertains to your box set. So what comes in the box? Again, we've gone over this before. You're going to get Prince Unafi. You're going to get two units of Mahal Safari. And you're going to get a unit of Crow Runners. So what does that all mean? Well, essentially, you're getting two units of exceedingly heavy infantry that is very good at several things. Uh, they have the highest base armor in the game at eight uh, of the box sets. Uh, eight is about as high as it gets for a non-gloried side. When they glory, they go to glory nine, or they go to armor nine. That is very significant, uh, and we're going to go over why very shortly. Uh, additionally, you're going to get a unit of light infantry with a bonus move at the beginning of every turn, uh, which is essentially out-of-order movement. And what is significant about out-of-order movement? Well, out-of-order movement does not provoke disengaging strikes. So it's very difficult to pin this particular unit down. Uh, additionally, this unit has the most token generation available to you out of the box set in terms of putting uh, either pinned or shaken tokens onto your enemy uh, based on triggers uh, or based on the or, or on the ability uh, that this box set has period 
So we have two units of heavy infantry, one unit of light infantry. Uh, we have on the heavy infantry, we have nine wounds. On the light infantry, we also have nine wounds. So we're going to have total 18 wounds of heavy infantry and nine wounds of light infantry. So that's something I want you to start thinking about in terms of how survivable units are. We, and the way that you kind of measure that is how many fire teams are they made of, how many models are in each fire team, and what is the base armor of that fire team. That kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of the survivability of that unit because obviously a higher armor and more wounds is going to mean that you're a little more survivable. More models on a base means you're a little more survivable. A higher armor also lends towards your survivability because you are less likely to be aced. And what I mean by an ace is that your, your entire fire team is removed in a single attack. And the reason for that is we're going to go ahead and go to the game math now. So the average for a good attack in the other side, uh, strength-wise, is strength 3. That's kind of the average attack strength. It's when you really start looking at an attack as being strong. And the reason for that is on a strength 3 attack, you can remove a full fire team, a full three-man fire team worth of models on an armor um, on armor six on a 13. You can re relieve a full of armor seven on a red joker only. So the nice thing about the math in the other side is that what you're really trying to do from a mathematical perspective on the attack is to one hit and two attempt to get your margin difference at least at a five. If you can get a margin difference of five on a hit, you have access to the universal powerful attack trigger, which raises your strength by one. This means raising a strength three attack, you're going to raise that up to strength four. What happens on strength four? Well, average armor for a lot of the other fire, other boxes that you're going to be facing. Again, really, a few units in the game, at least on their standard armor side, is armor 7. So what happens at strength 4? Strength 4 is kind of a magical number in the game because of this fact. Once you get to strength 4, 13's ace, i.e. remove all three of a... I'll three, remove three models of a fire team that is armor 7. So now, all of a sudden, your 13s are unlocked at strength 4 on the, on the damage side to go ahead and start removing full fire teams of some of the most popular units in the opponent's box set. That is powerful magic. Again, this is, this is on the, the range side of things. So why is armor 8 significant? Again, if we go back to strength 3 kind of being the, the average for attacks, attacks damage, base. Even if they get that strength 4, even if they get that margin to get to strength 4 against you, at armor 8, they are not removing a full fire team unless they hit a red joker. So there is one card out of 54 cards 
that I can either cheat or flip on damage that is going to remove, i.e. ace, a, a fire team of Mahal Safari. That is incredible. That means that they are going to have to put minimum two attacks, i.e. two-thirds of one of their squad units attacks into removing one of your Mahal Safari fire teams. That is an incredible advantage on the straight side of the card, i.e. the non-gloried sides of the card. So if we just go down the line in terms of armor, you have the King's Empire, who is going to be armor 7 on the front side of the card, and they're going to glory and go to armor 8. So they're going to, their glory side is going to equal your regular side. You glory, you're going to go to armor 9. So let's go over to Cult. Cult is going to be armor 7 with Arcane Shield. And Arcane Shield says until they activate, they're at plus 1 armor. So they go to armor 8. So they're going to be equivalent to you before they've activated. After they've activated, they are armor 7. So... And we'll get into that matchup a little bit more later, but you can already see where part of your advantage lies uh, in that particular matchup. And then you have Gibbering Hordes, and Gibbering Hordes are Armor 5. Their, start, their starting infantry are Armor 5 base. Huge advantage. Uh, just, just in terms of the survivability up front. So we're already seeing what the Mahals are bringing. We haven't even gotten to their attack profiles yet. So let's go ahead and get into the attack profiles of the Mahals. You've got a strength 3 gun, range 14. Again, average machine gun is average, but you are firing that machine gun on your, on your standard side at a 6. So your acting value is a 6. Pretty strong um, overall. Six is a very good number. Uh, it is the about the average defense of what you're facing. Um, the average defense, I think, actually works out to like 5.5 in the game. Uh, where Abyssinia is slightly less... It's, you're more likely to hit... Mahal, you're more likely to hit Abyssinian units. You are less likely to damage them because the armor is better. Where the reverse is true for the other troops um, outside of hordes. The uh, with the cult and the king's empire, you're likely to hit. You're a little less likely to hit them, but if you hit them, the damage is more likely to stick. Uh, and again, this that particular evaluation is primarily from the Abyssinian side of the house when we're when we're thinking about how Abyssinia interacts with the other box sets. And again, we're just looking at the other box set. We're just looking at the Abyssinian box set primarily at this time and from that point of view. Alright, so let's look at the other attack on the front of the card. The Tabaku. The melee attack on this is utterly insane. And it goes back to the same reasons. You have an acting value of 6. You have a strength, a base strength of 4. So... All of a sudden, light bulbs should be going off in your head 
as to some of the significant advantages that you have in the Abyssinian box set. And they are derived directly from how the Mahal Safari interact with the other box sets. So our advantage here is that if we can get into melee, and remember two of the other box sets are primarily going to do damage to us by a melee attack, which means we should probably be able to retaliate against them in that melee situation. We're going to be at base strength 4 against armor 7, having already activated warped, and armor 5, stripe skulkers. That is a significant advantage that I cannot really understate to you. That, that is a that type of advantage is monumental, and we're going to be talking about that and analyzing that throughout this again because you're going to hit, you're going to set up to hit, and you're going to try and get that margin up as high as you can, preferably to five because if you can get up to strength five. Or if you can get up to a margin of 5, you go to Strength 5 on your non-gloried side. And Strength 5 rips through full Armor 7 fire teams on a 12. So now you're looking at 9 cards out of a 54-card deck that are capable of fully removing a 3-model fire team with Armor 7. That is crazy town. In the mirror match, you're ripping through other Abyssinians at... Or you're ripping through other Abyssinians on a 13 in that situation. So you've really got some interesting ways to think about your card utilization, your token utilization in these specific matchups because of the advantages that the Mahals are directly bringing you. All right, so we've talked a bit about the advantages. Let's talk a little bit more about the disadvantages of the Mahal Safari. They're a little slow. They are base speed 6. Uh, their gun range is 14 inches, which means on an advance, they have a max threat of 20 inches. On a rush, they have a max threat of 14, uh, again, because of... Double up to double your speed and then a melee attack your melee range on your attack is two inches So two plus twelve is fourteen. So you project fourteen inches in Melee threat uh, you project 20 inches in range threat So that is kind of the threat uh, assessment for the Mahals It's not bad it's not the best. Uh, when you look at the 28 inches that the Royal Rifle Corps are capable of projecting threat uh, on their guns, uh, actually particularly longer, uh, if they utilize their rush action, they can go 12 and then 22. So really it can be up to 34 inches on a rush with their gun. Uh, again, they're kind of an extreme example uh, with the, uh, and then again, the other extreme is the Stripe Skulkers. Stripe Skulkers are really only threatening 14 inches 
on you. And they're going to have a, a more linear path to you, which means you're going to have a direct advantage in that matchup. And that's something we'll go over here uh, in depth just a bit later. Again, the Mahals, Mahals themselves, the primary weakness is they are defense five. For whatever reason, Abyssinia has a, a basically very average defense at defense of five. This means they are going to be hit very often. And the one constant in this game is if you are hit, there is a high probability of some damage occurring to you. The trade-off is the Abyssinia has a very low, on average, particularly with the Mahals, chance of getting aced. And again, that's because of how the game math works. Likely to hit, not likely to be able to remove a full fire team of us without an investment of an additional attack. So that is kind of the trade-off, and that is that is the weakness that we are going to be up against the entirety of our time in the faction. And it is really going to be that weakness that shapes how we approach some of the matchups we're about to talk about. Okay, so let's go. We've gone in depth on the Mahals. Let's go ahead and switch it up and come over to the Crow Runners. And the Crow Runners are a piece that I want to spend a little bit of time on. They have a significant skill to them. Um, and what I mean by that is they're a unit that on the surface is very difficult to tell if it is good or bad. I can tell you from having played a lot of games, I'm not sure that the jury is, is entirely decided on them one way or the other. I will say that I have had a better win percentage with crows in my lists than without crows in my list, but I couldn't tell you exactly why. It's, it's hard to articulate what they are doing and why they are doing it all of the time. But part of what I think makes them exceedingly significant in the box set game is that they are the most expensive ancillary unit outside of the Karkinu that uh, the uh, the Jibbering Hordes get. So you have the Stalking Portals. Those are pretty self-explanatory. Those are three, three script. You have the Infiltrators, very similar to the Crows, little different in their execution. And I think having played the matchup a lot of times, the Crows are significantly... There's a reason the Crows cost a point more. It's not at all that the Infiltrators are bad. In fact, the Infiltrators play a tremendous role in King's Empire itself and in the box set games in particular. Very similarly, the, the Crows have a similar, a similar but totally different uh, impact on the box set games. So what do they have? Uh, they have, again, that before-turn movement ability, six inches. They have uh, armor of six, which is significantly bad uh, in comparison to the Mahals. They have a 12-inch range shotgun. Uh, that is strength 2, 
on a difference on a margin of four, they're able to place a pin token on an opponent. They have a uh, they have a knife attack, and on that knife attack, uh, they are able to distribute a shaken token on a margin of two. So a lot of a lot of little bits with them. The biggest drawback here, and again, I kind of want to focus on what are the advantages, what are the disadvantages. The advantage on the Crows is they are defense six. Uh, they're a little more agile. They wear they wear lighter armor. They get a little bit more they get a little more agility in that, uh, and that's represented in terms of game mechanics by giving them a higher defense. That's nice. Uh, that is actually that can actually be a relevant advantage. Uh, in the game. Their glory side uh, is really where a lot of their money potential is. Uh, we'll go over that shortly. But I want to talk about the standard side a bit because these guys are going to be standard side in a lot of matchups. Uh, in a lot of matches they may not ever glory. Uh, they may be killed before they're able to glory. But their death doesn't have to be in vain. So one of the things that they do, uh, as you can see from their ability track, is they are a support and softening piece in a lot of cases. They're going to set up for you as, as the commander of your, of your box set force to be able to do some interesting things with the rest of your team. Uh, the pin tokens can be relevant if you're able to get them on an opponent. Uh, because the pins reduce movement, they also prevent reinforcement. Uh, because a reinforcement, to a reinforcement token and a pin token cannot exist on the same unit at the same time. Uh, they negate each other. Uh, additionally, you have the shaken tokens that they're able to give out on their melee attack. So when you have that you can set up for more devastating attacks from your Mahals uh, because you're able to make sure the Mahals hit or the Mahals get can turn the margin three threes that they're getting into a margin five attack and potentially get into the real sweet spots. Uh, and this not this, not the least bit of which is their ability to move outside of order. Outside of an order. They have, again, that ability to move at the start of the turn, up to their speed. It, it can be exceedingly significant. And they are, they're just a different kind of unit. And I keep saying that, but the strength two is really the drawback that they have. Is they have, again, they have a, a ranged attack and a melee attack. Both have relevant abilities on them. But their strength two. So strength two isn't going to be really doing a ton of work in the game, but it can do some. So it's not going to give you an ace. It's not going to remove all the models on a fire team for the most part. Maybe, maybe an armor five unit. It's gonna it's gonna do that too, but. Armor 6, only on a red joker. And that's that's when you start seeing just how how awkward the strength 2 is. 
is when you start making statements like that. But where where does it get generate some additional value? Well, on an armor seven, they can remove a model uh, on a five. So a five up is a five up on damage can remove a model. That's a significant portion of the deck. So if they can hit, they're going to remove a model. It's not likely to remove multiple models. So what do they need to get to remove multiple models? Well, again, if we go to our Armor 7 example, and the reason I keep coming back to 7 is two of your most likely opponents have Armor 7 relevant front sides. You're looking at needing 10s to remove two models. Not impossible, but not a, not a wholly significant portion of the deck. About 20% of the deck uh, are those, are, is that those face cards, those ten, 10 through 13s, and plus Red Joker. Again, and that's to remove two models when those, those 10s and 13s uh, utilized on your Mahal, particularly on damage if you're, if you're cheating them, are going to be removing three models. doesn't mean it's useless. It does mean that you are wholeheartedly not going to be removing full fire teams with this unit. That said, you can weaken opponent's fire teams with this unit. And that, I think, is part of their value proposition, especially in the early and mid-game. Uh, additionally, they can help screen your more expensive Mahals from the incoming enemy fire. That can be significant. Because of the way that cover works in this game, you can kind of set them up in such a way that they are providing cover to both units of Mahals as you advance them up the field and force your opponent to deal with them first. That's not a bad thing. So those are the front sides of the Mahals and the Crows. Let's talk about Prince Unathi. So Prince Unathi, I've made no no bones about it, is a very interesting commander in the one commander box set game. Again, we're talking about a Legion's box game. He provides such a different set of abilities that, again, get so much better in larger games, but are still significant and relevant in single box games. So I want to talk about Prince Unafi's uh, Poison Rockets. I want to talk about this gun because it is more significant than its stat line presents because I want to tell you kind of how it works in the single box game. Uh, it has a range of 12 inches. You have a 7 speed, so it gives you an effective range of 19 inches with this weapon. It is a, a acting value of 6 versus defense. It is strength 2, so the strength on it is relatively low to start. It is, however, area. So it can do ancillary damage to other fire teams within three of the primary target. And then we have um, one of the most powerful margin abilities uh, in the game, uh, particularly at the one, one commander box level. Uh, on a margin of four, you can generate a poison cloud. So you're going to create a 120 millimeter concealing low hazardous, tr hazardous three terrain piece in base contact with the target. So... 
you're going to shoot this off. If you get a margin of four, you get to place a 120 millimeter base uh, in direct base contact with the fire team you just hit. That can go and affect other fire teams that may be near uh, this thing. It's going to provide concealing uh, terrain. It is hazardous three, so it's going to be a strength three hit uh, when units activate in base contact with it or move through it. That's pretty significant. Um, there is a lot of damage that this particular rocket can do. It's not going to be great at eliminating a full fire team out of the gate is, is in terms of its initial attack, initial punch power, because it's only strength two. But it is going to be able to, if you have an opponent bunched up, to get in there and do a significant amount of damage in terms of the area and in terms of getting that margin to the poison cloud. That's, that's a lot of work that he's going to be able to do personally with a pretty strong threat of 19 inches. Um, if we count the area on it, you go 19, 22 inches uh, of potential threat where he can do one damage uh, through the area attack. That's that's nothing to sniffle at. Um, additionally, he has field test, one of his two outstanding morale actions on the front of his card. Um, that's the one that's going to let you take an action, print it on one of your target uh, fire team, and it's going to take an action, print it on one of its attached prototype assets. Then you're going to draw a card. So, a couple of things here. This has the ability to provide you with a significant volume of card draw and card rummage. So, you're going to target a friendly fire team. That fire team is going to take an action printed on one of its attached prototype assets. You're then going to be able to draw a card. So, on this immediately, because it's an action... If you can get a four up of tomes, you're going to draw an additional card. That's, that's pretty significant. So automatically, this is going to net you a card. At minimum, it is going to take a card out of your hand to fire the prototype and then draw you a card. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Uh, this, again adds to the volume of attacks your overall team is able to do. Uh, I, I love field test. There's there's nothing bad about field testing, and this is on the front of his card. Uh, and then there's call for reinforcement. Again, another amazing ability. Again, another morale action. Uh, you're going to target a friendly squad with at least one fire team in range, and the range on it is eight. Uh, again, with field test, the range on it is eight. And they're going to receive a reinforcement token. And that's sort of the front side of his card. That's his base working abilities. He is armor 7, so he is a little squishy. Um, he is not a commander that you want to have out in the open too much. That's not to say you don't want to have him doing personal work with the gun. It just means you have to be aware if he is out in the open, he is only armor 7. And so he has the potential to really take... Um, some significant um, additional damage because his armor is so basically low. Even even in comparison to your, your base trooper, which your base trooper's armor is 8. So that's something to really consider when we're talking about him. He has defense 6, which is really good, um, particularly for Abyssinia. And he has willpower 8. So again, 
a little bit better defense the rest of the box, a little bit lower armor than the bulk of the box. Uh, when we get over to Glory, he goes into utter insanity. And we're going to go over the, the stat increases. He is he comes speed 7, he goes up to defense 7, he goes up to willpower 9, his armor remains at 7. But this is the bag of tricks that you additionally get. So on your poison rockets, you get a ram trigger. Ram trigger is potent formula. You're going to immediately increase the strength of this action by 2. So it is going to go up to strength 4. It is still going to retain area and still going to retain on a margin of 4 the poison cloud. That is significant ability to do massive harm to your opponent, particularly once he's gloried. Field test, you're going to increase your acting value from 6 to 8. Uh, again, just need, to, just need to get to a 10, so on a 2+, plus, you're doing um, the fire, you're going to have a target fire team take an action, print it on one of its prototype assets, then you're going to draw a card. You've got call for reinforcements. Which again, again is going to go up from AV6 to AV8, again with a target number of 12. Uh, target friendly squad with at least one fire team rain gains a reinforcement token. And then it gets two incredibly strong triggers. First of which is a crow. It's dangerous to go alone. Target reinforces and moves up to five inches in any direction. So the sequencing on this ability is it goes off. They receive a reinforcement token. You check for trigger. Okay, you have a crow. It's dangerous to go on loan. You can then immediately spend that reinforcement token to place to reinforce that unit. So you're going to add two models to that unit. And then they're going to move up to five inches in any direction. So you're going to get out of activation movement. You're going to get out of activation reinforcement. That's huge. Additionally, on a mask... Uh, they'll be there soon. Target is going to gain a reinforcement token. So they're going to gain an additional reinforcement token on that trigger. So instead of just placing one on them, you're placing two. Again, really bulks them up. Uh, gives quite an ability to help get through some pin tokens, potentially. Or provide insurance against pin token to keep this unit on the... Keep your units on the board and upright. Significant value in the one commander game. And that's that's Unafi. Again, he's a two tactics uh, commander. So when you're playing the game, you know every turn you're going to have six. You're going to get the four that comes from playing a one commander game of the other side, and you're going to get two upon his activation. So as long as he's upright, you're going to generate within a turn six tokens: four at the start, two during the actual turn. Ah. Uh, Again, just, just based out of the box, list construction. Which is, again, what we're talking about here. Okay, so how does all of this play and interact together? What you have is two significantly powered identical squads. You've got your crew runners, and then you have Unafi, who is all about producing additional value for you at every step. If you need um, some additional work from your prototype assets that you're able to select two of and place um, on units at the beginning of the game. Field test gives you the ability to get additional value out of those by creating additional AP from them. Uh, call for reinforcements keep your troops energized. They keep your troops 
um, reinforced. Uh, you know, the, you keep you keep the casualties down to a minimum. Um, when you get to the glory side, he's able to not only keep them reinforced, but reinforce them immediately. He's able to move them out of sequence. He has the ability to drop um, terrain and treasures terrain on enemies' heads. That cannot be understated as an extremely potent ability. It is something that you need to really study and focus on as you're playing your one box set games. Unathi has the ability to help swing the tide in your favor. And there's things you can do and you can take advantage of your stats. And you should be taking advantage of your stats. Part of what makes Abyssinia great is our stat line, particularly the armor stat line. So don't be afraid to kind of corner an enemy in, have them get them engaged into melee, and utilize the rocket into the melee. Utilize that card, discard that card, go ahead, and utilize this utilize the the, uh, the area into the into melee because you can take advantage of the fact that you are better statted and you control that area flip. You have better control of it. There are there are a lot of situations where that area flip can be the difference between ending that unit or having that unit survive by a, a model or two. That's these are the types of decisions you've got to start making and, and the little bit little plays and increments you can start thinking about as you're playing through your box set games. It's about getting the maximum value out of Unathi's ability set. Um, additionally, the trick to him, trick with him is particularly once he's been gloried, and you should be able to glory him very easily because the entire design and intention of his mind control device is that on an 8+, plus, because it's a acting value of six that requires an, a total of eight to move that, so you can get a margin of six by flipping an eight, uh, because that is how math works. You are able to glory him nearly immediately, or at least uh, as as on demand as as possible. This means you're getting to his better statted side as rapidly as possible, and because of field test, you can potentially be glorying your other troops more quickly. The reason for that is the resounding success trigger, which is a trigger you should not be overlooking, particularly in the One Commander games. What it does is it says if you have a tome on some of these attack actions from prototypes and that tome attack is successful, just if it's successful, it just has to hit, it just hits, you can use that tome to glory. That can be huge particularly if Unathi is having you do it and getting success later in the turn after the opponent has spent resources, spent cards, trying to hurt you because you have better stats than they do in the one-up game. In a lot of cases, that is, that is part of your advantage. That is why you are bringing this particular box set to bear on the opponent utilize the tricks and tools that the, that the box is giving you. 
understand what it's trying to teach you about Abyssinia. And Abyssinia is very much a trigger and margin faction because we rely very heavily on our triggers and on our stats to keep us as safe as possible, particularly our armor stat, because we are going to be hit fairly regularly. So one of the other things to keep in mind is you need to utilize terrain probably more so than any of the other factions outside of your ring hordes. Because your defense is Lesuk, as you are defense 5, it is imperative that you find as much cover as you can. Because that makes you effective at defense 7, because you're reducing your opponent's effectiveness against you by 2 on the onset. Again, making you seem better statted. The opponent can do something similar to you, uh, simply because of, again, that's that's just how cover works in the game. But ideally, you want to try and utilize cover better than your opponent. Remember, Unafi has the ability to create these poison clouds that you can hide behind. Uh, the opponent can still shoot you, but it's concealing, which means it's going to give you cover. It's very important. And if your opponent tries to go through them, it is hazardous three, meaning they're going to take some damage. And so you can really start to control the battlefield, particularly if Anathi can get these margins down uh, to where the opponent doesn't have good, clean lines of sight on you. And when that happens, you can really start to be highly effective against the opponent, regardless of what you're playing against. So that's the makeup of the box set itself. So what are some, some baseline strategies to kind of think about into each of the primary missions? So the first one I'm going to talk about is Pitched Assault. So Pitched Assault, you have to be very careful. You're going to have fixed objectives. They're going to be 12 inches away from the center of the board. If a fire team is killed within 6 inches of those, it's going to net an additional point every fire team the first fire team every round on your particular side that is killed will net your opponent a point. Uh, the first unit that is killed every turn will net the opponent a point. Um, the first commander each turn will net the opponent a point. So it's about killing fire teams and units and trying to do so as near to the markers as possible. The twist in the mission, what makes it a great mission for the other side is that if you control more of the objective markers, again, there's only two at the start of the game, if you control more objective markers than your opponent, you score three points. If you score the same, you don't score, you, nobody scores any points for the objective. So there's an onus and, an, and a desire for you to be near that marker. So if you can control more than your opponent, you're, you're going to get three points for owning more than your opponent. If your opponent kills a fire team that is within six inches of the marker, you're, they're going to earn two points, which means it's still better to try and get that marker, at least more markers than your opponent, because you can outpace them by one point a turn. That's significant. So, again, you're better statted. So what is our strategy in this particular match? Well, part of it is going to depend on who you are facing. And so I want to talk a little bit about the Malifaux side of the house. I'm going to talk about how you're going to approach Jibbering Hordes into the matchup. So Jibbering Hordes are a very interesting match for you. They have two armor 5 units. 
and they have one armor seven unit. So armor wise, you are exceedingly superior to them. Your base armor is eight. They have two armor five units. They're primary infantry units that are very capable of being destroyed aced by your uh, your Mahal Safari uh, with the strength three with the strength three guns. Um, even your crow runners can do work with their strength two. Now they can do significant work against them. So what you're going to try and do is try and pound on them from range as much as possible. So things that I would look for in your prototype kit was this would be one that I would take um, the uh, I'd take experimental rocket with. I would take um, uh, flare guns. I would take the attack based ones in this particular matchup. And the reason is if you can get any type of attack on them, almost regardless of strength, because the bulk of their armor bulk of their army is armor five. You can start whittling this this opponent down prior to the primary engagement, and that's fine. Even though they can bring um, units back, they're only bringing back one fire team from that unit. And in pitched assault, it's about killing things. So those are those are some of the ones that I like in this particular matchup quite a bit. There is some argument for activate. Or active def active defense armor. I am I am a big fan of that particular upgrade. Uh, with that one, you can discard a card to prevent your opponent from having a modify step. It it can be significant in this particular matchup because the opponent has relatively low acting values. Um, again, their acting value fives into your five. Sometimes preventing them from utilizing uh, tokens can be significant. I think it's a little more significant on the other side of the Malifaux House, which is uh, which is uh, Cult of the Burning Man. Um, I think active defense armor is a huge prototype to take into that particular matchup, particularly on a hall, uh, because you are denying that modify step on an army that has great, ca great capacity to utilize shaken tokens and to give you shaken tokens. So kind of denying that can be exceedingly strong. Um, again, big fan of Experimental Rocket. Um, when in doubt, particularly in the One Commander game, Experimental Rocket is great because it is strength for attack with piercing, so it tends to do some significant damage when it hits. The problem is getting it to hit. So your mileage may vary there. Um, I want you to definitely look at the prototypes. There is a little bit of a linkage between the prototypes and how you're going to run uh, your particular operation, and the particular operation that you're playing, additionally into your opponent. So approaching Cult of the Burning Man in this particular matchup, it is all about killing off the warped as best you can, and making that damage stick. And that is that is so much easier said than done in a lot of cases. But it doesn't mean that it's bad. It doesn't mean that it's hard. 
just means that it's something you need to be concentrating on and thinking about. So what are some ways you can do that? Again, concentration with your Mahals, um, coordinated striking to remove full unit when possible, because they're going to have to expose themselves to you at some point. So keeping good spacing between your two units so that they can support each other without being overwhelmed, again, can be, can be critical. Proper utilization of Inathi is also paramount into that matchup. When you get a shot, take the shot, and it's about the margin to hit in most cases. Because with Unafi, it's about getting that poison cloud down. The more the more poison clouds you can put down, the more hostile ground you put for your enemy. And if you can get hostile, if you can get the hazardous ground right around where the portal marker is, that makes that portal marker very difficult for them to utilize. And because again, they're going to be facing hazardous three terrain with active armor seven or armor eight if they haven't activated yet, and that's still grounds for significant damage taking and it's nothing to sneeze at particularly out of activation that is for from you you're you're doing damage to them on their activation that is that's not that's not insignificant that's something you you should be utilizing as, as often as you possibly can and it's something that can really make that matchup difficult now, one of the most difficult matchups you're going to face is King's Empire. Um, Colt is also going to be is also going to be difficult, and part of that is Colt's mobility is going to be very puzzling to you. So, how do you combat that? Part of the ways you combat that is utilization of pro runners to go ahead and stand on portal markers. Don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to do that with Mahals. You have guns; they don't. If you can start fixing locations where they're able to pop out of you are dictating the battle better than the opponent is so in some cases it's about picking your spots jumping on top of those portal markers and forcing the opponent to either walk up the board at you or jump over to one of the other markers and you have known threat ranges at that point um, additionally, it's about forcing order of operation as quickly as possible. They're going to be able to pull one of those fire teams away with Adiaptos, or one of those one of those units away with Adiaptos. That's just what he does. He has to have line of sight to them. That's all he needs, and that that can and will occur. So, you have to be prepared for that, which means if you have an opportunity to eliminate them. You need to make sure you have that tactics token held there so that you can coordinate a strike into your other Mahals to finish the job if need be. It's about mutual support. It's about having those two units within range of each other so that they can take advantage of those opportunities when they become available. Because if you're able to do that, that matchup becomes so easy once you've killed off one unit of warped. A single unit of warped is still dangerous, but it is nowhere as dangerous as two units of warped. And they're going to have a harder time getting two units of warped into you and effectively into you than you are going to be having two units of Mahals have an effective attack against them at once. So, and remember your crows. I mean, you remember the crows are going to be real, real important in that particular matchup. 
because if they come in on the crows, you're going to have the Mahals in support. So it's about mutually supportive positions. That is really the name of your game, both into Jibbering Hordes and Call to the Burning Man. And that pretty much goes for all of the operations. Um, into King's Empire, it's a little different. You do not outrange King's Empire. King's Empire outranges you. So what you have to do is make scenarios incredibly relevant for them. The operation has to be incredibly relevant to them. Um, you need to be threatening to take multiple objectives at once. You need to then utilize that to force them to come in on you. And once they come in on you, you use your superior stat to help eliminate the problem. Again, they can pick at you from range but they're going to have a hard time closing you out because you are better at close range than they are because your strength goes up to four, their base strength remains at three. That is, that is your critical advantage in the matchups. You do have to be very careful about Charles into Unathi. Charles has the ability to become accurate and eliminate Unathi without Anathi being able to take um, wounds from the Mahals. That can be a problematic piece of the matchup. So some of the things you can do to help mitigate that is to try and get your crows on an end around into Charles. Again, a little more little bit a little bit easier to do if the Mahals are the ones that are going to pressure the central scenarios. Uh, the, the central operations and objectives as much as possible. Then the crows can kind of go around a bit, and the crows should be able to handle, in most cases, the infiltrators better than the infiltrators can handle the crows. It's just kind of how the, how the math works out in that particular match. Do not be afraid um, in the King's Empire match to try and take out the infiltrators as soon as they're gifted to you. Um, they are, if left alive, they can be devastating. You need to get those things killed as rapidly as possible. Uh, I have lost games because I have let infiltrators live. Um, and again, a lot of these games, particularly against Cult and against um, King's Empire, one of the things I will reiterate is how important it is to kill off Warped a uh, unit warped, and how important it is to kill off unit of Royal Rifle Corps. Uh, Royal Rifle Corps, it can be utterly devastating. Uh, they are they are a wonderful offensive unit. They are nothing to sneeze at, and you need to be very aware of them. The infiltrators pose a, a tremendous threat to you because they are a key scenario piece for your opponent. Uh, if you can wipe out their key scenario piece, it forces their Royal Rifle Corps to have to engage in that scenario quickly. And if they have to engage in that scenario, it means they're not getting to do fun things like focusing effort to gain double of the token. They're not gaining two inspired tokens. They're not gaining two reinforcement tokens if they're doing that. They're having to move up, potentially rush up to get within your threat because you are threatening them in a, a more significant way because you're threatening to win the game. Um, and that's kind of where your advantage lies. And I know I've gone, kind of gone through this part a little bit quick. 
Uh, but that's that's kind of where we're at with with this particular particular set. Um, we're gonna go ahead and regroup, and we will come back in our next episode, and we're gonna talk about gibbering hordes. So until next time, remember if you have a tactics token, you can make a coordinated strike. <laughs> My name is T'Challa, yes I am the man Take up to my father, I protect the land I sing the public dreams, now I am the better